We good? Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and grab your seats. And then sit down. So I'll start with just kind of a warm-up this morning because you need to know that I, I think this morning has probably been, is going to, I'm just going to say it, it's going to be the hardest message I've ever preached. I'm just, <laughs> like the whole week's been like, oh, here we go. So we're going to, there's a few bad words we need to discuss and stuff like this. But so here's what I'm going to say. As I looked at the past week, one of the things I looked at was I, I reflected on myself, and, and the question I asked myself, have I been walking in the light? So, so we've talked about looking at First John, that, that, that John talked about light and darkness, and fellowship with God is found by walking in the light. We enter into darkness when there's sin in our life, unconfessed sin. And I just said, you know, Tom, you know, have I been walking in the light? And I, and I find that, that while my heart says I want to be, my flesh sometimes carries me into the darkness, and I, and I just do stupid stuff. And, and, and maybe we've bought this, this lie that we can kind of blend the two, that we can live with one foot in the world and one foot in, with God and, and think that we could have pure fellowship with, with God, and, and, and John says we cannot. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing for our family is this was a, a, big, a big week for our family. First of all, um, my parents moved from Southern California and moved permanently to Indiana after 14 years, 13 years. So I'm just going to look this direction. I can't see you guys because the lights, but I know you're out there. If you have family that live in Indiana and you happen to live in Southern California, get out now while the getting's good. Just move to Indiana. It's wonderful here. You experienced it. I saw all the Facebook photos of Chicago and the bean and pizza, so good job, uh, Legrand and Sabea on, on sharing, but so, but my parents moved here, so that's a big deal. And they moved into our basement for the for the time being, uh, the time being. It's a, it's a it's a temporary situation, mom and dad. They're sitting in the back. Um, we are no longer parents of children. We are parents of teenagers. All our kids crossed into the age group of teenagers this week. So both Zach. He turned 13. Ashley turned 15 on Friday. So they have birthdays two years apart, same day. Now, if just, just to clear the air, nine months earlier was Valentine's Day. So just figure that out. I'll just let you know. That's what happened, okay? We, Joe and I went on our date once a year. You guys can put the pieces together. So, so that was a big deal, right? So, so there's a lot of reflection going on. I, I mean, we look at my son and say, he's not a little boy anymore. He's a teenager. My daughter, she's eligible to get behind the wheel of a car after she takes a test. So you guys need to be reflecting on that. <laughs> and then we had our first snow. How many of you guys were excited about the first snow yesterday? Looking out the window, we, I got up, cup of coffee in my hand, snowflakes. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it beautiful? Did everybody feel that way? No. no. It's awesome, right? Now, we'll revisit this question in about mid-January, and we'll be like, we, when is it going to end, right? When is it going to end? And here's what the Deeks family has discovered, that for our family, what works for our family is to book our vacation in January or early February, disappear down to south where it's warm, get on a cruise, and take off for a week. And we have found that cruising for our family is the way to go. And some people hate cruising, don't like the idea. We love the idea of cruising. First of all, for a family of five with teenagers, 
It's the best bang for our buck. We pay one fee. We get all the food we want. We get shows and entertainment. We get the pool. We get to visit a couple different countries. And it's all inclusive. We wake up in the morning. We don't have to spend hours deciding where we're going to eat or what we're going to do for the day. It's just laid out for us. So we love that. And, and the, we, we kind of, because, you know, our kids can't go very far, we just release them for the day when we're on the boat. They just go. And we say, check back in with us every couple hours. Now, one of the traditions that we've, we've come up with on these cruise boats is called a cone run. And what a cone run is is that on these cruise boats, they have a, a soft-serve ice cream machine. Okay, and we always like find that immediately when we get on the boat, and and it's <coughs> typically it's just kind of open, it's free, all you can want, and so one of us will yell out cone run, and we'll all head to the cone machine, and then it becomes a competition on who can make the largest soft serve ice cream. Now I'm the reigning champ three years in a row because I had a buddy who worked at Dairy Queen as a child in, in high school, and he told me that they taught him how to make the cone, and I know that technique. I can't tell you, but I can stack the best cone. It will not fall over, and I win. And so just, just to kind of tie all this together and where I'm going with this, for me, I'm a vanilla, a vanilla guy. When it comes to soft serve ice cream, it's vanilla all the way. Is there any vanilla people that say soft-serve ice cream is vanilla? Yeah. Now, for the rest of you, what is it? Chocolate, Chocolate, right? So we have vanilla and we have chocolate. There you go. Now, here's where I'm going to tie this together. You want both. You want to run with both feet in both categories, right? You want chocolate and you want vanilla, so you want to blend it together. And that's what I was thinking about when I was thinking about how John has been talking about this group of people that, he, that he's, he's basically, it's, he's considering an opponent to the Christian faith. And he's saying these people want swirl. They want, the, they want to have God and, and have the world and mix it together and call it Christianity. And he's, he's coming and he's saying, this is not the truth. This is not true knowledge. You get, what, you get where I'm going with this? And so what's happening is in the early church, just, just a few years, like a, a, one generation, not even a full generation, after the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, the church has already seen an opponent come up and want to change what Christianity is and who Christ was. And so John, the author here, is writing to the rest of the Christians, encouraging them to stay strong, encouraging them to, to, to walk in the knowledge of what they were taught from the, from the disciples that walked with Jesus and saw Jesus and, and, and lived with Jesus. He, he's, he's encouraging them to do this. And, he's, and when he's saying this, he's saying, you cannot have swirl. You have to have, you have, to have ch- chocolate or vanilla. So we, we looked in it. In, in chapter 1, he's talking about light and darkness. He's saying, if you want fellowship with God, you have to walk in the light. G- God is, is, is light, and you can, there's no way you can ask God to come into darkness. You need to walk in the light. And we do that through doing away with darkness, which is sin in our life. And we do that through confessing our sins. He talked about the, 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 the one or the other of loving God and loving our, our neighbors, or we hate God and hate our neighbors. It's not, a, it's not a, a, a both, it's an either or. We either love our neighbors, and we say we love our neighbors, and we show we love our neighbors, or we hate our neighbors. There's not, there's not a one way or the other. He talked about truth and lie. Several times so far, he, John said, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself if you believe that you can 
walk in the light, but have darkness in your life. If you believe that you can love God, but hate your neighbor, you're lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself. And John then goes on, and, and, and Joe dealt with this last week, about loving the world or loving God. And I think Joe did a really good job of, of explaining to us what that means to love, what it means when we love the world. And what, and what the difference between the world, the creation that God made, the beautiful creation that God made that he said was good, and the, and the entrapments of the world. And, and so, so he, he kind of narrows it down and says, you're either going to love God or you're going to love the world. It's, it's, a, it's a one or the other. You can't blend the two. And, and I love what Joe said about, in the, if you were here last week, and you could go online and listen to the messages, about the reason why John is one of her favorite people in the Bible. She said, first of all, John called himself the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. And, and we say, well, John, that guy might have been a bit arrogant to just claim that, didn't he? But here's what she pointed out, and I thought, that, that's awesome. John was able to stand firm and say that because he knew his place with Jesus. He knew his identity with Jesus. He knew, I, I am loved by Jesus. I'm loved by, so much by Jesus, I could say that I'm his favorite. And remember, Joe said, I'm, she said, I'm, I'm Jesus' favorite. And you're Jesus' favorite. He loves you more than you can know. And John knew that. And so he, could, he can say, I am the beloved. I am the beloved. The second reason that, that, that we love John so much is that John walked with Jesus. John is, is, is telling, encouraging the Christians, and he's saying, I can tell you this because I've experienced God. I've walked with Jesus. I've seen the works he's done. I've experienced the works he's done. I've been with him. I've, 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 you know, we've eaten together. I've laid my head against his chest. I have been with the man that we are talking about. And because of that, I have authority to say, this is the truth. This is true knowledge. So, so what, the, what the Gnostics, the people that he was coming up against, they were under this idea that they wanted to gain a higher knowledge of God. And in their, in their quest for a higher knowledge, they were being deceived, and their deception led them to believe that, that Jesus, the man, was not the Christ. And so they, they were led astray. And that's where this bad word that we're going to look at called the Antichrist comes in today. But the third reason that, that we love John is John was writing in his old age. And John had stood the test of time. And isn't there something about when, when somebody, you can sit with somebody who is, who is a, a veteran, a veteran of whatever, and listen to the stories and hear how they made it through. But, but John was a veteran of the faith. And, and, and he walked with Jesus. He, he was there and saw, saw what took place with Jesus. He was there and saw the first church birth. He walked with them. He's, he's led people. He's seen goods and bads, highs and lows. He's seen this other group come in and change. And he, stand, he has stood firm in his faith. And so, and so that's kind of where we leave off is John, John's writing this letter to the Christian church saying, Hey, guys, listen to me. Through, through the authority I have of who I am, Listen to the truth. You, it's the knowledge, the truth that I have to give you is the truth. There's no deception behind it. And last week is, is where the verses of, of the thoughts that, that we were looking at about loving the world and loving God. John writes this. He says, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This world is fading, fading away. He's, he's making a, a claim, a statement that time's coming to a close. And so 
because time's coming to a close, it's, it's, it's go time for us as, as, as followers of Christ. It's not time to be wishy-washy. It's time to stand firm. It's time to, to walk in the light is what he's saying. And this is where we pick up. And um, so this morning, the, he- the heaviness of what we're talking about, uh, what I feel like I need to say, I'm hoping could come out. But here's, what, here's kind of the, the idea, the big idea that, that we need to walk out of here with, that, that we can walk in the knowledge, knowledge and teaching of the Holy Spirit. We sang a lot of songs about the Holy Spirit this morning. That was intentional. That, that we, would, we would understand that as, as Christians, as followers of God, we have the Holy Spirit in us to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. And we can walk in that so that we will not be deceived. So that we won't fall into the category of the Antichrist, okay? So, so let's just get into it. John starts off, and we're looking at verse, verse 18. And he says, the last hour is here. And that's, that's an important statement. He said, the end is drawn near. But then he steps in and says, listen, children, the last hour is here. When I think about that, I, I say, we need to get ready. And for us, the last hour is here. We need to be living in a time of, of expectation that Jesus is returning. We need to be living in a time that this, this is the last hour. And so he, he's putting an urgency into what he's saying with this group of people. And, and so this, this, these scriptures here, um, I feel like he's broken them down into four, four categories. And I just want to go over those four categories, and then we'll just kind of do the so what at the end, all right? So, so we're looking at verse 18 through 27. And the first category that, that John does is he announces the coming of the Antichrist. Okay, and we find that in, in verses 18 and 19. He says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such antichrists have appeared. From this we know that our last hour has come. These people left our churches, for they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left it, it proved that they did not belong to us. There's, so he's announcing this antichrist. And here, here's what he's saying. You know, For some of us, you might have already established your end time. You, you, know, you have already picked out how you think the end's going to come. And, and if you've watched some movies about the end times, different movies that are out there, we think of the Antichrist as this political person that's going to rise up and rule against the Christians that are left, right? That's how I, that's how I was raised to think, that the Antichrist is this, this political person that's going to rise up. But John's saying the Antichrist have already come. And what he's basically saying is those that are against the truth of who Christ is, those who speak against the truth are Antichrists. That they, they, have, they have changed, they have perverted, they have manipulated who Jesus Christ really is. I, I think about the, the word Antichrist and I think about counterfeit. And we can think about counterfeit money, right? So here, about 15 years ago, I, was, I went to the bank, cashed a check, got a handful of hundreds because I had to pay some guys, handed a, the guy that was working for me his money. He held up a $100 bill and he says, I don't want this. There's, it's phony. There's something wrong with it. And, and I looked at it, and we looked, you know, you hold it up, and you look at the little, is it called a holograph or whatever, of the president's face. And we were at the bank, so we walked right back into the bank, and we said, there's a problem with this $100 bill. And the bank, she looked at it, and she said, yeah, I'm not real sure. And she was having trouble deciding if it was real or if it was fake. So she got on the phone, and I, I assume she called the, who would you call, um, whoever prints money? 
And she called and, and she got online with somebody and we're standing there and she, she started reading them the, the numbers on the, on the bill. And, uh, and in the end, it was determined this bill was not fake, but it was not a correct bill. And, and what had happened is this bill in the sheet before it was cut, after it was printed, it must have got flipped and turned around and, and ran through the next section of the printing. So when you held it up, Instead of seeing the president, like if you hold it up, instead of seeing the president's face in that little strip, the president's face was here and upside down and the strip was over here. Everything was backwards. And, and that bill had been in circulation. That bill had been passed down, down, down from people who handle money every single day. And that's what counterfeit is. If I was to take this paper and draw a $100 bill and say, hey, I want to give you a $100 bill, you wouldn't take it for a $100 bill, would you? Because it would be so obvious that it's fake. It would be so blatantly clear that is fake, but what the Antichrist is is, is a, a really good counterfeit of, of who Jesus is, of who Christ is. The Antichrist manipulates stuff and twists it just a little bit to where we, we have trouble. We are deceived. We have trouble determining, is, it, is that God or is that not God? He works so, so smoothly, and he started doing it in the garden with, with Adam and Eve. The deception that got put in, that's our, there's our other nasty word for the day, is this deception that came in that caused Adam and Eve to question what God had already told them, question who they were, and then make a move that led to sin. And for, for the people in, in 1 John, they have become deceived, not because of some blatant teaching, but some little trill that has led them to going, oh, so this Jesus guy really wasn't the Christ. This Jesus guy really wasn't the Messiah. This Jesus guy wasn't the Savior. And now these people are, are believing this enough that they're starting to teach it to the church. And they're leading people astray. And this is where John's stepping in. So the, the first is he announces the coming of the Antichrist. The second is he, he, he connects his readers, who he says has, have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, with the liars, the Antichrist. And we see that in, in verses 20. He says, you are not like that. You are not like the people who have changed who Jesus is. You are not like the people that because of that you've left the churches, the, the fellowship of believers, you've left them. You are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit and all, you, all of you know the truth. So I'm not writing you because you do not know the truth, but because you know the difference between a truth and a lie. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son as the Father has the Father also. So, so here, here's, what he's, here's, what he's, here's what he's reminding the Christians. When you came to Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus, when you prayed and, and gave your life to Jesus and took that 180 degree turn, the Holy Spirit came in and to dwell within you. You, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit to, to be able to receive his guidance and his power and his authority in your life. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes I think just the phrase Holy Spirit, the hair on people's neck stands up. Because we've walked in a world where you could turn on the TV and you see something that's really weird. And, and it's being called the Holy Spirit. Or you hear of something that happens and they say it's the Holy Spirit. And it, I'm not here to say it's, it is or isn't, but, but it's, become, it's become almost a show or a money-making venture. And, and so what we've done is we've said, we're just going to stop that. 
that's not going to happen. So we're, we're just not going to deal with the Holy Spirit. And we've, we've blocked out the, the one person in our life that can give us power and authority and rule to, to walk in, in light and not in darkness. And, and John's saying, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can tell who the liar is. You know when somebody's lying or not lying because the Holy Spirit has anointed you and the Holy Spirit teaches you. So he, he contrasts his reader with the, the opponent, the people who have left the church. The, thir- the third thing John does, and let me get to my, is he, he exhorts his readers. He exhorts them to hold fast to the teachings they have heard from the beginning and to resist the opponents who are trying to deceive them, verses 24 through 26. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Some verses say who want to deceive you. There's that word, who want to deceive you. If we go back to verse 1 of chapter 1, John says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, who, who we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. And touch him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He's saying, what we have taught you, what what the eyewitnesses, the one who have walked with Jesus have taught you from the beginning, hold on to that. Do not leave that teaching. Do not let anybody leave you astray. Lock on to the teaching we taught you that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Do not let anybody steal that from you. Hold on to it. He's exhorting them. He's just saying, Remain in that. Make that your firm foundation. Don't let loose gravel get under your feet. Make that your stake in the ground. Jesus is the Christ. The fourth thing that the author does is he he concludes with a lot of stress on the concept of residing or remaining. Verse 27, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches you is true it is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with him. I read that and I see this part that says, you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. What does that mean? Does that mean you guys shouldn't be sitting here listening to what I'm saying? I don't think that's true because if, if that was true, he would have never written it because if, the, if he believed the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have to teach them, hey, the Holy Spirit teaches you. I believe what he's saying is the Holy Spirit in you will confirm what is right or wrong. The Holy Spirit in you will teach you if what you're hearing is true or false. That's the true knowledge that you should be seeking, not the knowledge of wisdom of man or understanding of man or a higher learning. The knowledge that the Holy Spirit instills within you is what he's saying. And he's saying remain in that. Remain in Christ. You know, we talk about as, as we're branches church, we are attached to the vine. We, we, we remain Attached to the vine because that's the life giver for us. Anything else, we're just a stick on the ground withering away. Being attached to the vine is where we get our, our life, which allows us to bear fruit. So he announces, he announces the Antichrist. He contrasts and says, as followers of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to understand truth from lie. He says, continue steadfast in the in the teachings that you've heard from the, from, the, from the beginning and remain close to Christ in fellowship with Christ, which leads to fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. 
I read that and I ask two questions. The first question I ask is, how do I know if I'm being deceived? Because here's the thing. Deception doesn't announce itself. Somebody doesn't walk in the room and say, I'm here to deceive you all. They walk in the room looking just like the rest of us. And through a little bit of this and a little bit of that and swirling it together, you no longer have chocolate or vanilla. You have swirl. And if you mix swirl up, it just kind of gets all blah, right? Let's just leave that ice cream idea. It didn't work the way I thought it would. I'm just going to grab a page here if I still have it. I took the scripture and I, I just kind of, the, the passage we're looking at, and I, and, I, and I kind of colored it out. And the yellow is the promises of how we can know, how I can know if I'm being deceived or not. And verse 20 says this, You are not like that, for the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all, all, all of you know the truth. Because the Holy Spirit in me, because I'm a follower of, of Christ, I can know if I'm being deceived or not. Because you know the difference between truth and lies, is the second part of verse 21. Verse 23, second part. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Because I stand firm and Jesus is who he said he was, and he did what he, he said he was going to do, and because he's the Christ, I have fellowship access to fellowship with the Father. Verse 24, remain faithful to what has been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in fellowship, in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. I can remain in the teachings that I find in the Word. And then verse 27 says, you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. You don't need anyone to teach you. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. The Holy Spirit in us will give us the knowledge and the truth of false and truth. So that's how I, I know if I'm being deceived, is the Holy Spirit talks to me. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. The Holy Spirit lives within me. And, and I, I have to come to a place of recognizing that and allowing myself to hear that. And so, so here's, here's where I think the problem happens is, we, we may all agree that, yeah, the Holy Spirit came, uh, came on me and I had the Holy Spirit living in, in me when I came to salvation. But we've denied the ability to hear from him or we haven't learned how to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so we go through life defeated. The sad thing about this is as I was studying, one of the, one of the theologians I was reading his, his, about First John, when he got to this scripture, this, this part, here's what he said. He says, now you know we no longer have the Holy Spirit the way that the first church had. We just have the word of God. And I th- threw it away. <laughs> I thought, what in the world, man? What, what am I here for? I'm just going to get beat up. I, I need to be able to walk with something in me that, that guides me. And I need to allow, allow the Holy Spirit to guide me. And I need to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will tell me if I'm being deceived. Now, let's go into just the practical application of this. How do we know when the Holy Spirit teaches us? How do, how do you know? I mean, I could say that and I could say, go, listen to the Holy Spirit. And, and a lot of us may be lost. Like, I believe what he said. But how do I know when it's the Holy Spirit or when I'm just having a happy thought? And so, so let's just look at a few ideas. The first is that the, there's an inner witness or an inner knowing that takes place in you, Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, or eight sixteen says this. 
For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. There's just a verse that just, just declares that the Holy Spirit speaks with our spirit and, and tells us that we are children of God. If the Holy Spirit tells us that we are God's children, don't, wouldn't, wouldn't it just kind of rationale say that the Holy Spirit will also tell us about other stuff? Verse 9, 1 says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirms it. For me, practically, when I'm getting an inner witness or when I believe the Holy Spirit is, is talking to me about something, I get butterflies in my stomach. I know, I, I, got, I get this physical feeling that tells me it's greater than, than a thought, just a happy thought I'm having. I've learned that when this physical, almost gut feeling takes place in my life, in, in a situation that, that I need to listen to that because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And the reason I know it's the Holy Spirit is that when I've acted on that and I've spoke on that, there's been confirmation in the situation that's taken place. So, so in a situation where maybe you're praying for somebody or you're sitting here right now and there's something in you and I'm saying, hey, if you need prayer, come, come get prayer. And all of a sudden you get this, this feeling like, oh, maybe I should go up. That could be the Holy Spirit saying, come on, I want to encourage you. Or, or come on, come forward and share with the, with, the, with the rest of the believers to encourage them. So you get that? That's, that's that inner witness, that, that bearing that happens with the Holy Spirit just speaking to you. And, for, and I, I, I'd assume that for some people it, it's different, but for me that's, that's my indicator, that's my check, is that if I get this little stomach thing going on where it's almost like butterflies, I start to, start to pay real close attention to, okay, what, what, what's going on here? You know, God, are you speaking to me? And, and more times than not, it's... it's it's, it get, it's confirmed if I act out and say, this is what I believe God's saying, and there's confirmation with that. And so, so that's how I, one way I can know when the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, is, is this, this inner witness, this knowing. The other way is through his word. God's word speaks to us. We don't throw the word out. See, that's, that's one of the problems that we have with some of the Holy Spirit people, is they've tossed the word out, and it's all about this emotion and this feeling and, and speaking in tongues. And, and let me just say, all that's great. I'm for all that. I'm for God. I've seen God bounce people's head off. The, I saw a guy fall down on the pavement. His head bounced off of it. I was down in Mexico. We were praying for some people. And it was one of those things. You knew the Holy Spirit did it. The guy got up. No concussion, no headache. Everything was wonderful. I knew it was God. I'm all for these incredible things happening. But what I have found is a lot of times we toss the Bible out and it's all about this emotional feeling. And that's where the rest of us start to go, oh, I don't want to deal with that because, because there's something about the Bible. One of the things I love about the vineyard is we say, we're going to take the Bible, we're going to take the Holy Spirit, we're going to ride in the middle. We're going to be in this radical center that says it's both. And what the Bible says, what the Holy Spirit says, will align if it's of God. If it's not of God, there won't be alignment. If it's not a God, if I say, hey, uh, David, I think you need to travel down to Mexico tomorrow, and Dave goes home and he's reading the scripture and he finds a script and there's not, there's not confirmation, he, there's not alignment. We don't have to be afraid of it. We just have to know God will always align through his Holy Spirit with word. There'll be confirmation. So he can, he can speak to us. His Holy Spirit will speak to us through his word. I felt like I was preaching. Every once in a while, I get this about me. I just, you know, I always say, I just want to get up and have a conversation. Then I preach. Another way is, is through leading. 
Romans 8, 14. We're just back where we were just at. For all of you are led by the Spirit of God, who are children of God. There's a leading. Matthew 4, 1 talks about the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. There's this leading. I mentioned it when we had, um, when we had baptisms a couple of weeks ago in Acts about Philip and this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch. And verse 29 of chapter 8 says, The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk beside the carriage. A direct message. I'm going to lead you to walk beside this carriage, which in return, the guy receives Christ, which in return, they stop by a ponding, and the guy gets baptized. He's led. Philip's led. We could read there's several places where the Holy Spirit leads the disciples in a direction and says, go here, go there. I, want, I need you to do something. And they do it, and, and God shows up. It's a leading. Another way is a check in your spirit. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. These are, I don't think these are up here, but you have them there. I'll just read it. 6 through 7. Paul and Silas traveled through the area of some city and some other city because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia, Asia at that time. The Holy Spirit, you like that, huh? <laughs> I could have made up cities and you, you know, if you're not turning there. But, but the Holy Spirit said, no, stop. Have you ever had a check? It's a stop sign or it's a caution sign. It's a, it's a ooh, I need, to, I need to figure this one out before I move forward. Example, in 2009, we were going to take our very first trip to Thailand. Um, and I had booked tickets for myself, my wife, and my daughter, who was nine at the time. And we were going to take her out of school in two weeks in Thailand. And about two weeks before the trip, I'm, sh- I'm taking a shower and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I had to be quiet because the water was running in my head and in my face. So I, was, I actually was listening to God at this point. And I felt this check of don't take Morgan to Thailand. And I didn't know why. And so I kind of brushed it off. And, you know, a day later, don't take Morgan to Thailand. Oh. So then I went to a pastor friend of mine. and said, I'm having this check in my spirit about taking Morgan to Thailand. I have no reason why I shouldn't take her. There's no, no, no reason why I can't. There's no in the physical, there's no reason why I shouldn't take her, but there's something in me telling me not to take her. And so I, he asked his wife and his kids to spend two days praying and then come back. And he didn't tell them. He just said, pray for Tom and Joe and Morgan and about Thailand. And all three, all three of the kids and the wife came back and said, don't take Morgan to Thailand. And so we had to sit Morgan down. She was nine years old. She had told all her friends at school she was going to go to Thailand and fly on an airplane. And we had to say, we're not taking you to Thailand. And as a result, Joe chose to not go as well, just to stay home with her. And I went by myself. Now, in the, in the natural, I can't tell you still today why God blocked that. I can't. There's, there was no, we, the trip went on. It went smoothly. We didn't come in any danger. There was no issue. But for some reason, there was a check in me, a, a pause, a stop sign that said, Don't take Morgan to Thailand. And so I had to listen to that. I'm excited one day. God will say, this is why I didn't want to take you. I mean, it could be just something silly, but it was was just the point that there was a check. Have you ever been talking with somebody and and they make a statement and there's there's something that you're like, oh, I don't know if that's right. You ever had that? Yeah. yeah. There's a check. And, and, And it doesn't mean that the person's absolutely wrong or the situation's absolutely wrong. It's just the Holy Spirit saying, hey, pay attention here. Just a check. And then the last one that I want to share is that the Holy Spirit will speak to us through visions, dreams, and prophecy. 
Joel chapter 28 through 29, and also um, Peter when he preached his very first message in in Acts chapter 2. This is what he says. After doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. I love this. And I, 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 it's sad that we deny this, but I firmly believe that there's something about God speaking to us when we dream. If you have a dream and you wake up and you can't shake that dream, start asking questions. Just start talking to people. Hey, I had this dream. What does it mean? Or if, or if, you, if, you, if God gives you something that's, that's encouragement for the future for somebody, it could be prophetic. Ask God, is this you, God? That hasn't ended. That hasn't stopped. And I could tell you it hasn't stopped because I've experienced it. I had a dream one time about a friend of mine, and it was about destruction, and I blew it off. About a month later, I ran into somebody. I said, hey, what's going on? Oh, we're recovering after what happened with Lamar. He started to tell me about the dream that I had a couple months earlier, and I was blown away. Never in the, I just thought I was having a bad dream. And so I started paying attention that when I have a dream and I wake up and it, was, and it feels like it impacted me, I start asking questions and I start, at minimal, I may pick up the phone and say, hey man, you doing okay? Had a dream about you. Everything cool? And, and then let God lead it from there. We're in the last days. If we believe that the hour is here, we should be having dreams. We should have, be having vision. There should be prophetic, prophetic words going out that we should pay attention to. And we shouldn't be freaked out about this stuff. This should just be natural to us as followers of Christ. That's the problem, is we've made it some supernatural weirdness instead of saying, no, God says we have the Holy Spirit in us. God says the Holy Spirit will confirm and speak and teach and guide and lead and convict and and work through us in miraculous ways. Why don't we just believe this stuff? So, so, So when we walk in the Holy Spirit, when we walk in the guidance and hearing of the Holy Spirit, that's how we can know what is truth and what is lie. That's the truth that we should be seeking. I want the truth and I want it through the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you one last, one last thing. And, and you, you, I think the band, you guys could come on up. <clears throat> Remember just earlier I talked about John and what the three points that were really cool about John. John's, John understood he was loved by God. When we come to a place of understanding our identity in Christ and we kick out the lies and we kick out the the rumors and we kick out what we've been told by ourselves or family members or or society when we when we remove that and we place ourselves understanding we are children of God we fall into a category that allows us to operate without letting lies affect us I love that John was able to boldly say Jesus loves me the most, because he understood that Jesus loves. And so, so, so I think one of the first steps for us to understanding how God speaks to us and how God's deal with us is understanding we are his children. He is our father. So when we talk about fellowship with Jesus, a lot of us think of it as my boss is telling me something to do. But if you go to work and your boss gives you a checklist, have you had fellowship with your boss? No, he's demanded something of you. You check it off and you go home for the day. Fellowship is relationship. Fellowship is walking. Fellowship is understanding your position with that person. 
So if I have fellowship with my dad, I understand this is my dad. This is the guy that brought life to me. This is the guy that sustained me when I couldn't sustain myself. This is the guy who, who has wisdom to give to me. And the fellowship becomes greater than, oh, this is just some old man that wants to tell me what to do. I understand my relationship, my identity with my father. And in the same way, we need to understand our relationship and our identity with Jesus and God the Father. And so, so, so that's what, you know, just as that was really cool about John, that should become cool about us, that we understand our identity. John walked with Jesus. John, John experienced Jesus. When you experience God taking place in your life, no one could ever steal that from you. When, when, when I, when, this may sound weird, but when I prayed for a girl in Thailand that was tormented by demons because she had been raped multiple times being sold in and out of brothels, and, I, and the demon left, and I could tell you the deeper story about this, but I, I physically saw the demon left in my spiritual eyes. I saw the, physically saw it. I know it sounds weird. And I saw the peace come over that girl. I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit that you can never tell me didn't happen because I was standing there and I watched it. And there was many witnesses that stood there watching. And it was awesome. I experienced God. John experienced God. He saw God do the things that he said he does. And you can never take that away from John. When you experience God in any way, not, it, could be, it could just be in him pouring his love into your heart and you understanding, I am loved by God right now. When you experience that, no one can steal that from you. And your identity in Christ would be solid. And then when we walk with God, John spent time with God. He stood the test of time. He was a veteran of the faith. When you walk with God, when you, when you live out your life and you go through hardships and you come out and God's still your God on the other side, it's awesome. And so, so just be encouraged about those, those three things. Your identity, your experience with God, and your walk with God. And know that you know that the Holy Spirit is in you. If you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you and he will guide you and he will tell you truth from life. Stand with me.